Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. The disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. It was early Sunday morning before the sun was even up, but Mary was awake. All she could think of was finding her way back to the tomb where they had placed Jesus' body on Friday. She was there beside the cross when he died. She was there when Joseph took the body down and prepared it for a hasty burial. The sun was setting and since it was the Sabbath, they didn't have time to prepare him properly. They laid his body in a tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea in a garden nearby. No one had ever been put there. They rolled a stone in front of the opening in hopes of preventing anyone from coming and taking his body away before they had the opportunity to prepare him properly on Sunday. But now in the dark, Mary is awake. She gets up before the sun and makes her way back to the garden. And when she arrives, she's stunned to see the stone has been rolled away. She runs back to the village where Peter and John are. She wakes them up and tells them, assuming that, that someone has taken away the body. They run back ahead, and Mary follows. When she arrives, they're inside already. But there's too much grief for her to go in. And so she stands outside of the tomb, crying. She doesn't know what they see inside. They run off without telling her. And now she's all by herself, outside of the tomb, weeping. Standing in that place, believing that she's lost her dear friend and master, Jesus, forever. Alone in her grief, there beside that place of death. A woman in our church stood beside the grave where they lowered her father's body into the ground this very week. She had to bury him all by herself. Like many thousands this week in our country, this holy week, 
will have to do. She had to face the grief of losing someone she loved all by herself. Mary is there weeping when she finally works up the courage to look into the grave. Her story is told in John chapter 20. Listen to what happens here in verse 11. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The sight of two angels doesn't even register to Mary. The only thing she sees is that Jesus' body is not there. She's weeping because she believes she's lost the most important person that she's ever had in her life. Grief is always proportional to what has been lost. And in this moment, the person who has blessed Mary like no one else is gone to her. And so her heart is completely broken. When Mary met Jesus, her life was in complete disarray. Luke tells us that there were seven demons that went out of her when she met him. We don't use this language often, but many of us know what it's like to struggle with demons. Anyone who has dealt with addiction of any kind, the drive to go back to some promise that always disappoints and in fact makes life worse, knows what it's like to struggle with demons. Or those voices that tell us that we're not worth anything at all, the voices that tell us lies, that there's no hope in life, that we should give up. We know what it's like to struggle with inner turmoil. Or the kind of demon of anger that drives us over and over again into the places where we don't want to be. Luke tells us that seven demons went out of Mary when she met Jesus. That means she was in complete and total despair. But her encounter with Jesus set her right. He chased all of those inner shadows away. He drove every evil spirit and every spiritual infirmity out of her so that she went from being a person who was completely lost to being someone who was set in her right mind. With his love and with his kindness and with his power over every spiritual darkness, he brought light and peace. He gave Mary confidence, which she had never known. He gave her a sense of inner control and the deep conviction that she mattered, that she was beloved so that she could be part of something bigger than herself, so that she could have a hand in God's mission, even as she was. Jesus blessed her in a way that no one ever had. And now, as she looks into the grave, she's convinced that he is lost to her forever. And she can't even give him a proper burial, or so she believes. His body is gone, and that's why she weeps. 
when the angel asks her the question, there's actually something more going on than a simple inquiry. This is one of those questions that hides a statement. Because unlike Mary, the angels know why the body is gone. And it's not because someone has come to take Jesus' body away. It's because death has no power over Jesus. And they know it. Jesus is not in the tomb because he's alive. And as Mary stands there looking into the grave, the angels can see over Mary's shoulder where Jesus, the risen Jesus, is actually standing behind her. They ask, why are you weeping? Because they see that he's alive and he's right there with her, even though she doesn't know it. Watch what happens next. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Mary turns from the angels and she looks right at Jesus, but she doesn't know that it's Jesus. Her grief makes it impossible for her to see him. It's always true that stress and anxiety and sadness and despair make it hard for us to see what's really happening. Anyone who's struggled with deep grief knows how it messes with your perception. She's looking right into Jesus' face, but she doesn't recognize him. She's not the only person to experience this kind of blindness on the first Easter. Luke tells the story of two disciples who have left Jerusalem behind, believing that God had failed and Jesus was absent forever, walking to a village in Emmaus, seven miles away. As they walk on the road, swallowed up in sadness, the resurrected Jesus joins them on that path. He's walking right beside them. And he asks them, why are you so sad? They explain what had happened with Jesus, how he had failed to meet their hopes. And because of that, they'd given up. And even as he walks along with them and opens the scriptures for them, they still don't recognize that it's him. It's their hopelessness that makes them blind to the truth that God has not failed and that Jesus is present even in this grief. They can't see it. Just like Mary in the garden, they don't know that Jesus is with them on the road. And it will be true for us in this Easter, for those of us who have to let go of a loved one, or for those of us who don't know how we're going to make it through this time, for those of us who can't handle the anguish and despair of the grief that has been put upon us or the uncertainty and who will be led to believe by all of it that maybe God has failed and probably Jesus is not with us. Just like on the road to Emmaus and just like in this garden, it will feel like Jesus is absent. But here Mary is standing face to face with the risen Lord and she doesn't know it's him. 
but he's there. And he's there because he's alive. And he's there because God never fails. And he's there because Jesus is always with us. But she doesn't know it yet. So watch what Jesus says to her. This is verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? The same question that the angel had asked. Whom are you looking for? He adds this because he knows that her grief comes down to believing that she's lost someone who she has not lost. Mary makes a mistake. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. The only thing Mary wants is to find Jesus. And she believes that she's talking to the gardener. And this is her mistake. And in it, there is an irony that's worth dwelling on. The gardener is the person who takes responsibility for the land, who tills the ground, who removes the brambles and the stones, who plants the seeds and slowly and steadily over time cultivates so that something good can grow. When Mary first met Jesus, he was the gardener of her heart. Inside, she was like a patch of ground that was only rocks and thorns, where nothing good could grow. But with his tender care and slow and steady devotion to her, he removed the stones, he cut away all of the brambles and the thistles. He planted in her heart good things, which he tended to, which grew over time. He was the gardener for her. But not only in that personal sense, but in a broader and a cosmic sense. She doesn't see it, but she is actually talking to the gardener for all of creation. The world began in a garden where the first gardener planted east of Eden, a garden for the man and the woman whom he made in his image to dwell in. And he oversaw that garden and it was good and perfect in every way until those two began to trust another voice rather than his. And when that happened, everything went wrong in the garden. Trust disappeared, enmity arrived, death itself came. And now the ground was infested with a curse. And so that garden was spoiled until God himself came again. And now in this second garden, in person, in the risen Jesus, finally broke the power of that curse that came in the first garden so that now there could be a new creation. And now Mary doesn't know it, but she's standing face to face with the gardener of her heart and the gardener of all of creation. And all she wants to see is where Jesus is. And she wants to see that because like every true disciple who has been rescued by Jesus' grace, she only wants him, Jesus. And so she asks him, where can I find Jesus? Thinking that he's the gardener. 
And then he shows her where he is in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. With one word, Jesus reveals to Mary that it's him, the good shepherd, the one who knows his sheep by name, the one whose sheep recognize his voice as the good shepherd who lays his life down. She calls him teacher because he had always been that to her, and in this moment, he's still teaching her. If we'll let our eyes see it, and if our hearts are open to it, Jesus can be our teacher this morning for where we are through this reunion with Mary. Not to give us something that we can prove, but rather a gift that we can confess. First, we can confess that Jesus is with us. Even though our eyes won't see it, and even though our minds will tell us that God has failed, if we're open to it, we can confess that just as Jesus was present to Mary, though she could not see him, he is with us in this time, even though the darkness obscures his presence. As the psalmist said, he is near to those whose hearts are broken, and he is with us now. But then further, we can also confess that he is with us in life as our hope. The one who has come into the garden to undo the curse and to bring with his resurrection new life, which forever breaks the power of evil and darkness, has come so that we ourselves can put our entire lives into his hands. And even though death's power still will seem present, and even though it will appear that the curse is still everywhere around us, with him we can trust that there will be a future day when he comes back and his victory over evil and wickedness and death will be altogether uncovered. And just as he himself has conquered the grave, we are invited to participate in that promise ourselves, and we will. Until that time, he can continue to be the gardener who's at work in our hearts, growing good things, so that in this life, we can still persevere through all of the darkness with his help, and he promises to give it. But then there's one more gift we are given, which on this day especially we need to receive. And it is that Jesus is our only hope in death as well. Death is an end, and it's a bitter end. And it's an end which many thousands will have to live through in this Holy Week. But this reunion between Mary and Jesus in this garden. It gives us a picture of the true hope that though death is an end, it is not the end. And there will be a day when Jesus' victory over death here will become the reality that all of creation experiences as he brings a new heaven and a new earth in which death is no more, in which every tear is wiped away by the hand of God in which he makes his dwelling with us forever, in which all darkness is removed, in which all pain and anguish and misery is taken away and never comes back, in which there is no more suffering, but only perfect 
and blessed hope and love and joy forevermore. And in Jesus we are given that hope. Friends, open your hearts to these truths, that Jesus is with us, that he is our only hope in life, and he is also our only hope in death. And with that in mind, go on walking through these days of challenge, assured and confident and hopeful in your Savior, Jesus.